Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man Staten. This podcast is dedicated to blue-collar, hard-working public land elk hunters. We preach hard work, delayed gratification, discipline, and staying accountable to yourself. We value faith, family, fitness, fiscal discipline, and of course, public land elk hunting. So come along as we try to educate, motivate, and inspire you to become the best possible version of yourself. Our podcast is brought to you by Wilderness Athlete, performance you deserve. Fuel your body with the best. Use our discount code ELKSHAPE30 and save 30% off your first purchase. We are also brought to you by NUMA Outdoors. Geared for the outdoors, made with bow hunters in mind, built to over-deliver, and most importantly, designed to outperform. Check out NUMAOutdoors.com and be sure to use the discount code ELKSHAPE20 to save 20% off your purchase. Matthews Archery. Elevating the archery experience. Take a test drive with the Matthews V331 or 27 at a local dealer near you. Vortex Optics. I've been partnered with Vortex since 2010. This company is awesome. They're American-owned, veteran-owned. They're based in Wisconsin. Their entire team of designers and engineers produce and distribute a complete line of premium sport optics, accessories, and apparel. Most of the apparel that I wear while training, scouting, and hanging out around the house is vortex wear go ahead and check it out and if you want to save 20 percent, enter the discount code elk shape at checkout and you'll save 20 percent. new from vortex in 2021 is their tripods the one i've been using in the backcountry is their summit carbon 2 and their radiant carbon and it also has a ball leveling head and it's perfect for rock solid shooting there is a tripod to fit everyone's needs from Vortex now, and it's still covered with their lifetime no-fault transferable VIP warranty. Check it out at VortexOptics.com. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man. That's your host, the hostess with the mostest. I'm not sure. Hey, my name is Dan Staten. I'm a blue-collar elk hunter. I hunt primarily public land, and I am doing a podcast today with uh, Joel Gay, who has worked for New Mexico Wildlife Federation and is currently serving, uh, I believe, a volunteer role with New Mexico's BHA chapter. These guys got a hold of me after they heard one of my podcasts about some of the experiences I had in New Mexico when I bought a landowner tag and some of the nonsense I did. I ran into with some outfitters basically flexing and trying to kick me off public land. That was truly public land. And they were doing that so that we would not interfere with the elk that were on state land that they wanted to hunt with their clients. So this kind of this kind of thing is something that I'm, you know, I'm going to put out publicly and use my platforms and shine lights on stuff. And these folks reached out and said, hey, we'd love to do a podcast or or have you do some things with us. And I said, look, let's just do a podcast. It's with my bandwidth. That's the best way for me to get the message out 
and I can't promise that I'm going to agree with everything you say. And they said, that's cool. So we did a podcast and we're going to drop it right here. And it's actually going to be a three-part series, all different guests. And I'll kind of tell you a little bit about each one. Um, and we're going to do them three consecutive weeks in a row. The first week, today's podcast is going to be with Joel Gay, BHA. And we're going to discuss their stance on the E-plus program, the landowner tag program in New Mexico. And we're going to kind of break down the details. And my goal is to just educate you guys, especially if you're just kind of a blue-collar public land elk hunter, to, on what's going on. And then you can decide if it's something that you think is cool or if you want to help take action with these guys to try to get some sort of reform going. The next one's going to be with New Mexico Wildlife Foundation, a different entity with a similar stance as Joel has on today's podcast. Then we're going to go up to Montana. We're going to sit down with a couple of volunteers from Montana BHA side. And Montana is trying to do the same thing that New Mexico is doing. They're trying to pull tags away from the general elk hunting tag allotment and give those more to outfitters and to people that want to pay more to hunt. If basically what we're saying here is that elk hunting is definitely leaning towards a European model of whoever has the most money gets to hunt the best places. And little old me in Spokane, Washington, a public land elk hunter of 20 plus years, I have to say officially, I have hunted with outfitters. Absolutely. I've hunted on private land. Absolutely. I've killed elk on private land. But the majority, like the 99% of the elk that I have taken have been on public land. I don't care if you hunt public or private. I don't care if you own five acres, 10 acres, a million acres. What I care about is the resource that is called elk and that there is elk hunting that is available to the public, held in the public trust for years to come. So we're going to sit down with Joel and talk about New Mexico's system. He's going to tell you a few things about its flaws. He's going to shine some light on some things, and then you can just be more informed to make decisions or dive deeper on your research and you do you. Elk Shape is about hard work, delay gratification, and being accountable to yourself. I talk a lot about strength and conditioning, nutrition, elk killing tactics on public land. But today, we're going down more of this, this rabbit hole of kind of some conservation stuff as well as a mix of a little bit of the underbelly of the E-plus program in New Mexico. I hope it's thought-provoking. I hope you like these next three podcasts. We've taken a lot of time to to create these for you guys. We've taken a lot of time to make sure that these are well articulated. And I'm trying to stay neutral and hear both sides. If you are a landowner in New Mexico and you get landowner tags and you want to come on this podcast, you got an invitation, get a hold of me. Same with Montana. If you're an outfitter, you like basically subsidies where the government steps in and, and gives you some welfare elk tags so that you can stay in business. I'd love to hear your side, but ultimately you guys got to make a decision and let your voice be heard, whether it's through voting, writing emails and letters, talking to local government entities or even legislators, whoever, join a BHA or join a New Mexico Wildlife Federation, join a local whatever, I don't care. I'm not here to talk about BHA today. Uh, I know that oftentimes they've gotten themselves in hot waters. I'm not talking about any of that today other than how can elk hunting have continuity? How can we keep a good trajectory? Long intro, great episode. This is going to be with Joel Gay out of New Mexico, and you're listening to the Elk Shape Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast. Uh, pretty excited to dive into some topics and some stuff that I haven't really been known to cover. With kind of what happened recently in New Mexico, and if you haven't listened to that podcast, we have at least two episodes kind of covering our experience. Fortunately for us and, and for you listeners, a few folks reached out. Uh, New Mexico Wildlife Foundation, um, a couple folks from uh, BHA chapter in New Mexico. We're gonna we're gonna go over that. We're gonna go over some BHA reps in um, Montana, and I want to pause right there for a second before I introduce my guest. So, at the time of this recording, I am a lifetime member of Backcountry Hunter and Anglers. However, I made that donation many, many years ago when it first got started and when I felt like there was a lot of momentum. Since then, 
I have definitely kept BHA at an arm's distance for many reasons, which we probably won't get into today. We might, but that's not the focus of this. The focus of today is to really shine a spotlight on the state of New Mexico and get some on the like boots on the ground folks that have been working on some of this stuff and educate you fellow public land blue collar elk hunters. And I just want to help be a voice for you guys. So we're going to bring on today Joel Gay. Uh, currently, he is serving uh, on the board of director uh, for New Mexico's BHA chapter, and he's a policy advisor, and I'll let him introduce himself. Joel, you there? Yeah. Hey, Dan. Thanks for having us on. Absolutely. Uh, it's an honor, actually, to talk to you. Um, I'm really excited to kind of dive into some of these topics, and I really appreciate you guys reaching out because I would love to leverage my platform to just promote conservation and hopefully promote elk hunting for generations to come. I want my son's son to be able to go to Walmart, buy an elk tag, and go tackle some public land and and maybe experience what I've experienced, all the positives. So let's get into your uh, background real quick. Just give us a, a quick introduction on yourself. Well, I grew up in New Mexico, you know, public land user, definitely. I fished with my father and my grandfather for you know, as long as I was here, uh, I never hunted when I was in New Mexico. And so that I moved to Alaska in my early 20s, and I lived up there for about 30 years. And I primarily fished up there. I commercial fished and sport fished, subsistence fished, um, it, but never hunted there either. And when I moved back to New Mexico about 15 years ago, I started working at the New Mexico Wildlife Federation. And um, and those guys, they encouraged me to, to do something I'd always wanted to do. I'd always wanted to hunt. I just had never, had never grown up in that, uh, in that world. And so anyhow, uh, as soon as I started working for the Wildlife Federation, uh, these guys started taking me out and, you know, started with quail and turkey. And then pretty soon I got my first elk and, you know, I've been hunting ever since. Um, primarily a bow hunter. But, you know, these, it's just so hard to draw a tag in New Mexico. You take what you can get. And um, for instance, I, you know, I bought a leftover tag this year for elk. It, the season doesn't start till the day after Christmas. It's down in the mountains outside of Socorro. Uh, it's a muzzleloader hunt. And so, you know, that's what I'm going to do is go down, hunt any way I can. Yeah, I love Socorro. That's a great little town. One of my best buddies lives there. Yeah, cool. Yep, and he guides in the Gila and, of course, in shed hunts. And uh, he, I've been down there with him, and I've flown down just to shed hunt with him. Uh, it's pretty cool country. The BHA vibe, as I alluded to on the pot, like as your intro, was like, you know, the name Backcountry Hunters and Anglers alone like that had my interest the second I found out about BHA. I was like, I'm a backcountry hunter. They're they're talking about public lands, public lands, and I'm all about public lands and and um kind of the vibe that we're going to go chase today is privatization. So, I've always been not stoked on any state trying to privatize public lands or sell off public lands for the revenue, for whatever reason, I've always, I've always enjoyed the message of keep it public. And I think a lot of my listeners would appreciate that as well. You can't make more land. And once it goes into private hands, um, you know, it's probably never going to see public hands again. And I am on, like, I do understand and appreciate some people, especially like Midwest folks and East coast folks that, like a state like Texas, even where it's like just about everything's private and you got to, you got to lease land if you want to hunt it or knock on doors, uh, or whatever it is, but, uh, or buy land. And that's just kind of the cost of doing business. But out West, it is something special that we all have and should cherish the ability to go to a public trailhead, state land, BLM, national forest, what have you, and go cut your teeth. And go hunt animals that live there. Who who owns these animals? Let's start with kind of just the foundation. Who owns these animals in every state? 
you know, ever since the days of Teddy Roosevelt and, and uh, you know, that early generation, Aldo Leopold here in New Mexico, um, we have been operating under what we call the North American model of wildlife management. And it says very clearly that, that wildlife are held in the public trust. So they are owned by all of us. Pub, you know, and, and it's the same for public land as it is for public wildlife. Um, you know, we manage these, these species on behalf of everybody. And so this is where, this is where we, we in New Mexico feel like there needs to be some change because um, we're just drifting farther and farther away from the North American model and that idea that, that, the, that elk, for instance, is a public resource and it ought to be, you know, the opportunity to hunt elk ought to be allocated democratically. This is not England. This is not Spain or France. You know, we should not be selling hunts to the highest bidder, uh, especially, you know, these on, on, on public on a publicly owned resource. Um, and in New Mexico, a lot of these hunts are, are conducted on public land. So here, these landowners are getting a private, re or, excuse me, a public resource elk tags, and they're selling them to, to, you know, fund their lifestyle. And then the hunter who buys that tag ends up hunting on public land. And I think, I think that was a situation you were in here uh, not too long ago, Dan. Yeah. So I guess we'll uh, segue into the E-plus program, which... I didn't know that's what it was called until I was halfway through my hunt and I realized that I had a I had a, a land owner tag unit wide that I had purchased. Um, and I've already gone over kind of how that was nerve wracking buying that and how it was kind of a little weird and shady. And <laughs> there was definitely a strong possibility, Joel, that I that I could have got ripped off like easily. But I'll, I, I could explain that in a second. But the E-plus program is something I had to go on to the website in the middle of the field. Like I was in the unit and I had to find cell phone service. And I had to go look up to see who the heck did I just buy this landowner tag from? Where's their land? Since I have a unit-wide tag, I can hunt their ranch if they allow it. And I didn't know that if you were a landowner and you got tags that you could opt out of allowing access to your property. I did not know that until I looked it up. It's a really complicated system here. And, you know, most states in the West have got a private land hunting program. I don't think they do in Arizona. Um, but, and, and, you know, I have not studied all of them, you know, up and down the Rocky Mountains. But New Mexico, you'd have to search hard to find a, a program that's more complicated than ours. So, and, and I won't belabor any of this stuff. Um, this, is, this is an issue that our chapter at BHA thinks is really important. And, you know, we're, we're all these, all of the BHA chapters operate pretty much autonomously. And so, you know, we've talked over what we're doing down here with the folks at National and they're aware of, you know, our interest in getting the E-plus program changed but it's not a national program. This is a New Mexico program. However, if you go to the New Mexico chapter website, which is on the BHA website, you'll find that we have a whole library of information about the E-plus program, uh, including the rules and regulations that govern it, um, you know, just a ton of information about it, and uh, including uh, some write-ups that we have done that explain how the system works. You know, I, I, we could spend the next hour for me just describing how the, the program works. But yeah, to basically to go back to your, you know, your concern, Dan, um, if you buy an E plus tag in what they call a primary zone, um, the, the landowner gets to choose whether they want to have the hunt on ranch only, and that's just simply what it's what it says, or if it's going to be unit wide. And if it's a unit wide tag, then you can hunt the entire unit. 
Um, and, and anybody who, anybody else, like if I drew a, a unit nine tag, I could also hunt on that, uh, that private land ranch. If you can find out who owns it, if the gates are open, if you're not run off by, you know, somebody who's got bad information. So that's part of the problem is that, is that our system automatically makes E plus tags unit wide. You have to, as a landowner, you have to opt out and you have to opt to, to be a ranch only. But one of the things that makes New Mexico different from say Colorado or Utah private land hunts is that we don't have a minimum ranch size. We have ranches here that are over the years, we've had ranches of one, two, three, four, five acres that get uh, an elk tag to sell. And are they going to hunt on their on their you know two acre ranch? No, they're going to they're going to make it unit wide. And are they going to let you know every unit every uh, hunter in that unit come hunt on their ranch? No, not really. So, you know, on paper, our our system sounds you know they they always say oh god these unit wide tags. What that does is it allows the public to hunt on private land. You know any any ranch that's enrolled in the unit wide program. But in reality, that doesn't work out that way. Okay. So E plus stands for the elk private land use system. And you're saying, regardless of the land size that you have one acre, five acres, 50,000 acres, or like in my instance, Floyd Lee, I think who is the largest private landowner in the entire state, you know, and so they get a certain number of tags or a tag. And I will say that I met a gentleman at the gas station from Texas. He was hunting on a ranch, a friend of his. And he just nonchalantly mentioned that he lives, he's a bona fide resident of Texas and that he is buying five acres and, and he will be, uh, a, he will be able to get his tag in this program next year, starting next year. So he won't have to buy a landowner tag going forward. And that to me is just a little, like that seems a little gray. That's a little gray. Um, so two things, first of all, the biggest landowner in New Mexico was Ted Turner and oh. he owns some big ranches. Floyd Lee is not, you know, he's not, you know, he's, he's a big landowner, but he's not the biggest. Okay. Uh, that guy who's buying five acres uh, he can participate in the E plus program. He can enroll in it. Um, but there again, whether he draws, whether he actually gets an authorization from the department of game and fish depends on a whole bunch of factors. Um, and so it, just because you're enrolled in E plus doesn't mean that you automatically get a tag. Okay. There are, they, they cut out, they changed the program in 2018 and they got they eliminated something like 700 ranches that were enrolled but didn't really provide habitat they didn't really provide any benefit whatsoever to the elk or not not enough benefit to elk in new mexico so they so game and fish just just kicked 700 ranches out of our e plus program but you can go to if you go to a to a ranch real estate website and look up ranches in new mexico you will see that that they if they get elk tags on a regular basis, so a bigger bigger ranch, say sixty or a hundred or three hundred fifty acres, they are going to get elk tags on a regular basis, and they, they they'll pretty much know for four years in a row how many tags they're going to get next year, and so that's built into the price of the ranch. It's it's part of the real estate um, sales pitch. Hey. Sure. Buy this ranch and you get 14 tags. Right. Okay. And then when when it comes to these um, fishing game making, I would say, judgments or measuring if a ranch is actually providing more habitat or base, let's just say doing something or something's actually beneficial towards the elk population, do we know like their measuring stick for that? Yeah, but that was there again. That was something they adopted in uh, 2018. Before that, it was pretty much a biologist going out to a ranch and saying, 
yeah, this looks pretty good. You know, here's three elk authorizations or 62 or whatever. And now, um, now there is a, you know, it's science-based. Um, and so they, they look at every ranch that's enrolled, that wants to enroll in EPLUS. And there again, this is just in the primary zone. So there's, that's the heart of, you know, that's the heart of the mountains. That's where all the big elk herds are in the primary management zone. But a ranch has to show that it has, it can get like, it can get points on the water. It can oh, get yeah. points on the cover, on the forage, on whether there's agricultural land, you know, part of the thing. If, if this guy's raising alfalfa, the hell yeah, that's great elk habitat. So now if they get a certain number of points, they are guaranteed into the program. If they don't get a certain number of points, you know, that all those, all those factors added up, if they don't get a certain number of points, then they're, then they're not eligible, but then they can join forces with other small ranches all around them and make kind of a co-op. And then they together, they might get, you know, one or two or three, three tags out of for you know whatever say five ranches and then they would have to figure out how to split them up themselves okay so let's say new mexico hands out 33 34,000 elk tags a year but a third of those 13,000 to be specific go through the e plus hands and i'm a rancher i'm a landowner i'm a multi-generational my dad and his dad are accustomed, for, to use your words, to receiving these elk authorizations just because we have elk on our property and we allow it or whatever. Um, my crystal ball shows that if I'm a third-generation rancher and I'm used to getting these elk authorizations and I'm actually used to selling them all to, to one broker or multiple brokers, I'm not going to be happy when BHA comes in and is like, Hey, wait a second. You guys are privatizing a public resource and you're steering way clear of the North American model of conservation. I'm going to, I'm not going to be stoked on that. Can you appreciate that point of view or what's your counter argument to that? Uh, I can certainly understand it. You know, um, you know, if you've been getting some sort of a government benefit for years and years and years and the government decides to take it away, then yeah, you know, it's, it's shock. It's a shock to your system. But, um, you know, to me, you know, I guess my answer is that we can't bend, you know, the North American model to fit everybody's pocketbook and to fit their family history and all, um, and all that. You know, what BHA has always said is that we appreciate the private landowners who to do provide elk habitat and some sort of benefit to elk in New Mexico. But what we think is a better way to do a, a better way to do this program would be to um, not give authorizations, you know, a public resource, not give them a public resource to sell. Let, let these ranches sell what they own, which is the land what they can do is they should be, they should be selling basically trespass fees. So in unit nine, where you were, I like where you're going. Like I'm already digging. I'm smiling. I'm like, this is, this is making sense to me. Exactly. So, so, you know, I think if you, if you go up and look at what Montana's doing now and has done for years and years and years, you know, you draw a tag in some unit, you know, if if it were here, it'd be say unit nine. And then you contact, you contact the Floyd Lee Ranch and you say, geez, I just, I just drew a tag in beautiful unit nine. And, and how much would it cost me to hunt there? And he says, well, you know, a thousand bucks, 5,000, 200, you know, I knew your granddad, so you can hunt for free. Who knows what the deal will be? Um, but that, that's one way to do it. Now, another way is, um, is what New Mexico did for what they call the secondary management zone. So we've been talking about the primary management zone, which is really where the big elk herds are, you know, the Gila, 
the Sangre de Cristos, you know, the Sacramentos, the heart of elk country. If you look at the, a map in New Mexico and you see there, there's elk all over the place. You know, they used to be a plains animal. So there's elk in, in all those foothills and outside those national forests and they're, they're all over the place. And that's what we call the secondary management zone. So, you know, back in 2018, prior to that, Game and Fish used to give landowners in that secondary management zone authorizations to sell or to, to use themselves or to give away or whatever they wanted to do, thousands of them a year. And, and matter of fact, back in those days, there were about 8,000 tags a year that were never sold and never used. So those are tags that did not go to a hunter. They did not, there's no money going into the landowner's pocket. And there's certainly no money going into the Department of Game and Fish because no one's buying that license. So what they did is they changed that. And now all, the, all those elk tags in the secondary management zone are over the counter. So now you can go to Walmart and buy an over-the-counter tag. If, and if you've got permission to hunt on you know, somebody's ranch, Ted Turner's ranch, and, you know, Ted is probably not going to give you permission. He will sell you permission. But that is, you know, what New Mexico has actually started going in the right direction on that, mm -hmm. where we have uh, elk tags available to the public, but then the public and the landowner have to come to an agreement about hunting on that particular chunk of land. And technically, you know, if you hunt, and that's all ranch only. So if you hunt on ranch only land, you may not go onto my public land in the Sacramento National or Lincoln National Forest or, you know, the Carson National Forest, the Gila National. So anyhow, that's, that's, there's, we're, we're sort of going in the right direction in New Mexico. Um, but, you know, if you go back to your original question of, you know, where do we go from here and, and, and how, you know, what, what should landowners expect? They should be selling access, not tags. So what would that do to some outfitters? So obviously I ran into some terrible outfitters, um, but there are, those are bad apples. There are very hardworking outfitters that make their living and it's not like they're not getting hand over fist dollars. It's, it's a hard, it's a hard living, but like, okay, let's say, Let's say Floyd Lee gets 90 elk tags or whatever. Let's say like um, – or he has his access and, the, and those 90 tags now go into the draw instead of being brokered out through a unregulated – I'm going to call it a black market because it really felt like a black market when I bought my landowner tag. But let's say we take those 90 tags away from Floyd Lee, uh, but he owns all this property in Unit 9. How – what does that do to the – Let's say a good outfitter actually bought those 90 tags prior to this change. And this change happens. How is that guy going to – can that guy come in and say, hey, Lloyd, I know you don't get landowner tags anymore, but I want to lease up all your land, and then I can handle the trespass fee. I can decipher – basically, he can say, if you want to hunt Floyd Lee's land, you got to hire me as an outfitter. Um, is that something you're okay with if that came out? Yeah, you know, if, if the tags go through the draw, then what you're doing is you're getting the government out of the way. Right now, our, our Department of Game and Fish decides, Floyd Lee, you're getting, you know, 182 tags this year, of which 62 are bow and 59 mm -hmm. are blah, blah, blah. You know, so, and they do that with, with every single one of these E-plus ranches. The Department of Game and Fish spends so much time. I mean, I, I don't know how many people there, there's got to be half a dozen or more people working for the Game and Fish. All they do is determine how to give away a public resource to private individuals. Let's get the government out of the way. Let's put, you know, all those tags into the draw. And then, like you say, Floyd Lee gets or you know, unit nine gets now gets gets Floyd Lee's tags. It gets 
you know, the, you know, the tags next door and the next door to that. And so all of a sudden now there's all sorts of, there's all sorts of draw tags. And then Floyd Lee gets to decide, I'm going to have a hundred hunters and no more. And I want them all to be bow hunters or, you know, whatever. I'm not sure how the, how the weapon type would split up, but Floyd Lee could then go to USO or to whatever, you know, shit, he could go to the Sierra club and say, <laughs> why don't you manage my elk hunt sure and and so and so you, you know turn it around go go up to uh, uh vermejo park ted turner's five hundred thousand acre holding up in northern new mexico um and so you know right now you know that's a big enough operation that ted turner has a whole hunting program they got they got you know lodges and guides and butchering services and all that kind of stuff. And so you, you buy into, you know, the whole system when you go there, uh, you know, his whole, his whole ecosystem of hunting up there. So that's what, that's what Floyd Lee could do or all these guys. Now, if, if you get, you know, if, if you're used to getting, you know, maybe two tags a year, then all of a sudden, you know, you, you might have to figure out that, uh, you know, I'm not going to be able to sell this tag for 10,000. Well, maybe you can't, maybe you can sell a, a tag for 10 grand. Um, but, you know, it's, it's because if the value goes down, it's because you're selling what you own and not what the government owns, not what the public owns. So, yeah, you know, if these guys, if these guys suddenly, you know, their 401k takes a dip because because you and I are not subsidizing their, you know, their uh, elk tags, then that that doesn't break my heart. There's a okay. there's a lot of people in New Mexico who would uh, rather have all those tags go into the draw. And let's go back to the let's go back to the outfitter situation just for one second. I promise to keep this short. But New Mexico is also the only state in the West that subsidizes its outfitter industry. We give 10% of basically 10% of all hunt codes to people who agree to hire an outfitter. And so these are draw hunters, you know, and, and, you know, if they, if they hire an outfitter, they got a you know, much better chance of drawing a tag than I do. And so they have they have now bought their way to the front of the line, and then and all all they got to do now is you know cough up the you know whatever five hundred five thousand fifteen thousand dollars you know depending on the hunt and the and the outfitter. Uh, that's how they get. Uh, that's how they get to the head of the line. Right, and so the your average blue collar guy that's a non resident that either doesn't have the means or more importantly maybe they just don't want the help you have you have six percent of the tags allocated and i think it's up to not guaranteed six percent is that correct roger okay and then it used to be ten percent right i remember because i used to actually draw new mexico back in 2006 and 2007 then i haven't drawn since and, and the reason why is that a group of hunters went up there and we were so pissed off because at that time, resident hunters only got 78% of our tags. Most states in the West, it's 90%. And usually it's, it's at least 90% go to residents. As it should. And 10% go to non-residents. And there's nothing for outfitters. Well, New Mexico used to be 78% for residents, 10% for non-residents and 12% for outfitters. So we went up to the legislature. We got thousands of, you know, we had big protests and we, you know, talked all these idiot stick uh, legislators who didn't know anything about hunting. I mean, literally at the end of this whole thing, they were, they were looking at this thing about licenses. And they said, are these car licenses? No, these are elk licenses. So anyhow, we, we got them to change the, the, uh, we, we went in and we said, we want 90-10 split in New Mexico also. Sure. And good outfitters are going to survive in New Mexico just like they survived in Arizona and Colorado, Utah, Montana, and everywhere else. 
you know, it's not going to kill the outfitting industry. What it's going to do is if you get rid of the subsidy, it's going to get rid of uh, the outfitters who are not good enough to keep the business, you know, on their own. It's going to introduce competition and it's going to put more tags into the hands of non-resident hunters. So, so when we went up and we said 90-10, the outfitters in New Mexico joined forces with the landowners and they got this bill stopped. And, you know, they gave up 2% because they weren't even using 12% of all those tags. They gave up 2%, so now they get 10%. They gave resident hunters a slight increase, so we're now 84%. And they cut non-resident do-it-yourself hunters to 6%. So that's, that's not right. So a couple thoughts on that one, there are ways for guys like me and anyone else savvy enough to contract an outfitter and basically dot I's cross T's. I can hire an outfitter, get my name in the draw. I can go from 6% odds to 10% odds. And, uh, and if I draw, I'm going to hang out with this outfitter for two days and I call it hangout because I sure as shit, I'm not like, if you want to pack me in, great. If you want to help me glass, great. But, or help me with scouting, great. But after our two days, consecutive days, we're done. Our contract's over and I played the game. Now, there's friends that are going to listen to me like, Dan, why are you sharing this? Uh, I'm keeping it real. This is, this is what I did this year. I hired an outfitter to go into the draw. I didn't draw. If I had drawn, I would have, I, I had a contract. I would have hung out with him for two full days. And I'm willing to do that to get that much better, 4% more odds. Now, whatever happened, Joel, to the cream rises to the top. Let's say, now I'm a fitness guy. Let's say I get, I got a gym and the government's like, hey, Dan, we're going to give you some food stamps. So you got to hire Dan if you want to work out and get in shape versus I'm really good at getting people to their goals. I'm really good at teaching and educating my clients. I'm going to, I actually have a waiting list to train with me because I'm so damn good. Like the cream rises to the top. So the same thing with outfitters in Montana and New Mexico, that is one thing that I will be outspoken on is look, the cream rises to the top. If you're a good outfitter, if you know how to actually get people in on elk and provide a quality, good customer-driven service, they're going to rebook every year. You're gonna, your book's always going to be full. But if you're a construction worker or so, you have – oh, and you outfit on the side because you got a little bit of stock and you kind of half-ass it, you, you should be ran off the mountain. You should go – like you should – people – word will get out, especially in today's internet – and forums and Facebook and Instagram, people will find out you're a terrible outfitter and you won't be in business. And that's your incentive. Do you know what I'm saying? It's, it's exactly right. It, you know, we had guys uh, when we were trying to get the outfitter, our outfitter subsidy um, eliminated, you know, this was like 2010 or 2011, I think. Um, and, you know, one of my favorite ones is a buddy of mine. He, he said, you know, I build houses for a living. You know, no one guarantees me customers. Right. And so, and, and, you know, if you look around, you know, you know, one of the popular things for the outfitters to say is that, oh God, you know, we support rural New Mexico. Well, rural New Mexico, you know, if, if, if you take all those outfitted, well, number one, the outfitters are going to, the good outfitters are going to survive just fine. hundred percent. And, um, and the, if you put more do-it-yourself hunters in there, uh, they're going to be going to reserve and to, you know, Winston and Kingston and, you know, all these little towns and buying gas and buying, you know, boxes of shells and, you know, whatever they need. And, you know, you, I'm sure that there's probably some outfitters who bring in, you know, bring in a couple of clients and they go to the local cafe, but I bet a lot of them, go to their own personal lodge. These guys fly into New Mexico or maybe they drive in um, and then they don't spend any money when they're here. They spend all their money with outfitter. So anyhow, I, I've heard on other podcasts. I don't know names yet, but I will. I'm not dumb. 
but there's a guy who's basically the spokesperson for all the outfitters in Montana. And I listened to him argue with Randy Newberg on a podcast that their clientele spends more money when their feet hit the ground in Montana. And what you just said, I, I'm just calling bullshit on that. Like when I go to New Mexico, I'm driving a truck that gets nine miles a gallon with all my stuff. I'm filling up at every small town. I'm stopping and getting snacks. Uh, there's a diner here or a diner there. If I've been hunting too long, I'm going to get a hotel room. Some guys might just get a hotel room and hunt every day out of it. I will never have a meal provided for me by a cook at a lodge. And like I will be actually driving all around a unit like I did unit nine where I covered the whole unit. I put I put 1,200 miles on my four-wheeler because I just changed the oil on it. In nine days, bro. Like, I, I'm i just here to tell you, these blue-collar DIY guys don't get the love that they need. Like, these guys are spending dollars inside the state. Yeah. And, you know, we, we've had some – we've had questions from BHA members in, you know, wherever, North Carolina or uh, Massachusetts or Kansas. And they say, how come, you know, how come you're, you know, being so tough on – you know, trying to get more tags. Uh, and, you know, our response is, you know, this benefits DIY hunters everywhere. If, if we could get rid of our outfitter subsidy and we could change E plus so that it was not, you know, between the two of those, you know, people had been buying their way to the head of the line. And that's really, that's the heart of the problem. You know, we need to get rid of that in New Mexico as well as Colorado and Utah and Montana and everywhere else, you know, this is not Texas. You know, you, uh, we don't want to, we don't want to, you know, sell our wildlife. We don't want to sell our land. No doubt. Now let's say people are listening to this podcast and they're getting fired up one way or the other, because I mean, we're all hunters. We should probably be united, not divided in this, in the fact that we represent such a teeny tiny population of the whole u.s population we're like we're, we're fractional and it seems like the population's growing but i don't know if hunting's growing enough to even maintain our ratio of four and a half percent or whatever it is um so i do want to come from an angle of united not divided but we have to there's going to have to be some compromise and if people are listening and getting fired up and want to voice their opinions like where do they go from here? Like, how can you get involved with your checkbook or with your typewriter and type out a, a letter, your keyboard, whatever? How do you like, can you attend some Zoom meetings? Like, how do you get involved? Well, if if you wanted to get involved in New Mexico, uh, keep tabs on the New Mexico chapter of BHA or the New Mexico Wildlife Federation. Um, they're, we're probably the two leading groups that are trying to get some change in our uh, hunting programs that benefit both resident hunters and DIY non-residents. Um, and so w one of the reasons why we have uh, on the, the BHA, our chapter website, why we have this whole program going is that our E plus rule, our private land hunting rule opens up for review and possible changes in 2022. And so that's what we're trying to do is, is that we're trying to uh, inform hunters, in, especially in New Mexico, but also you know, nationwide uh, about our program and why we think it needs to change. And so what we're trying to do is in this, in our E plus library, we're trying to give people just straight facts and, you know, we're showing them the rules. Um, we're showing them the stats on, on harvest. We're showing them the laws, all that kind of stuff. And it's boring as hell. However, if you uh, want um, your kids and grandkids to be able to hunt, you got to have public land to hunt on. They need public tags to hunt with. Um, so anyhow, keep it, you know, we welcome anybody to read our E plus library and to keep tabs on our chapter because sometime in 2022, you know, we're not sure when March, June, maybe 
our game commission is going to open up this rule and uh, we'll be looking for comments from all over the, the nation because uh, these things do matter to hunters from out of state. Beyond that, I would, I would encourage everybody to know what is going on, not only in your state, or you know, not only in New Mexico, but in your state and in places like Montana. I think Montana is, is you know, there's a, there are some places that look at New Mexico and say, oh man, that is, that's the shit right there. You know, that's what we need. We need outfitter subsidies. We need, you know, private land tags on two acre parcels, you know, and, and that, you know, if you're a hunter in the United States, you do not want that to expand. We need to protect what we have, expand what we have in terms of, you know, protecting our public resources, land and wildlife and water for that matter. Um, we need to protect all those with everything we got. It would be interesting to find out how much this E plus program in New Mexico, what percentage of the overall budget from fishing game is spent on managing this program that is very honestly hard for me to even really comprehend. It's convoluted. Uh, there's a lot of gray area and it seems to breed greed and some sort of black market. Like how much of their total budget is spent on working with this program? I don't know. And that's a good question. You know, I, I, we, we have been trying to get information from the Department of Game and Fish on a whole bunch of aspects of E+, and they're dragging their feet. You know, and this is what used to happen with, with our antelope program. We had an antelope program called A+, Private Land Use System. And, you know, your chances of drawing an antelope tag in New Mexico, you know, some years back were like 5%. And so we would go to the Department of Game and Fish, and we'd say, geez, how come it's so hard to draw an antelope tag? Oh, it's the drought. <laughs> and then we started, then we started digging around. We get, did what we call it an inspection of public records act and IPRA. And, um, and we started, you know, figuring out that, that at that time, 75% of all of our antelope tags were going to landowners, 75%. So you look at, you look at other states that have private land hunting programs like Utah or Colorado. And, you know, one of the things they do is that they will give, they'll give authorizations to landowners. But part of the deal is that the, that ranch has to allow a certain number of public draw hunters on its ranch. And so, yeah. you know, they, they're, you know, those states are actually putting tags in their draw to hunt on private land. Now that's a, that's a, you know, that's a decent trade. Should, yeah. you know, yeah, I think there's, there's probably, there's probably, you know, some way to, to develop a really good, healthy, uh, private land hunting program, but I don't think that we've got that in New Mexico quite yet. And we're going to interrupt this podcast for a quick little message from Black Rifle Coffee Company. These guys make amazing coffee here in the U.S. and they're veteran owned and they're proudly American and unapologetic. I appreciate that. If you guys are interested in joining their coffee club or picking up maybe some swag, ready to drinks, or check out that new Flying Elk Roast flavor, use the discount code ELKSHAPE and that'll save you 15%. Also, Kufaru International. This is the backpack of choice for elk hunters. I use the Hoodlum or the 44 Mag. You guys need to check out Kufaru International if you are serious about packing out large loads of perfect protein off the mountain. Head over to Kufaru.net to learn more. We're also brought to you by Onyx Hunt, the number one hunting GPS app. I've pretty much gone away from using an old school GPS. Obviously, I still carry like an inReach, but all my hunting maps are stored and executed with the Onyx. This is the fastest downloading offline maps out there, as well as the most resilient 
bulletproof. Not going to crash on you when you need it most. I run tracking most days while elk hunting, and I found Onyx to be the most reliable hunting GPS app out there. Check it out today. And finally, Baku e-bikes. These are e-bikes made for hunters by hunters. This is a game changer for elk hunting as well as bear hunting, checking your tree stand trail cams, getting in and out quietly. I rock the mule. Use the discount code ELKSHAPE to knock $300 off your purchase. And if you do that, you might as well just go ahead and apply that discount towards a folding cargo trailer so you can put your elk quarters and haul them out back to the truck. In your in in your write-up on your BHA page that you wrote back in the 21st of September, you said this law could also be challenged in court that some hunters have suggested the E-plus violates the state's anti-donation clause, Article 9, Section 14, which basically states, uh, I want to read the verbatim, I don't know if I have it pulled up, but here, yeah, I do. Uh, and Cliff Notes version, friends, is like, you know, you can't make donations to private uh, entities for like for their gain, which, let's be honest, when you say, oh, you own some land and there might be some elk that cross through there, here's 100 elk tags. I could sell those 100 elk tags to a broker for at least, let's say it's in a good primary area, a minimum five grand a tag. You know what I mean? You start doing the math. We're getting some significant dollars. Now, the broker buys them, and now he's got to resell them. Well, he can sell them to a bunch of different individuals. It might be worth his while. Or you can sell them to like a George Tallman of USO and be like, here's all the tags. You can buy them all at once, and then you guys can uh, – we'll include a lease in the deal where you guys can lease out my land or whatever. So all that is to say is does it kind of or does it absolutely violate that Article 9, Section 14 in New Mexico bylaw? You know, what the what Game and Fish has said is that they are giving away – that they're giving these landowners an authorization and the authorization is a number and it's got a, the ranch name on it. And, you know, it's their way of tracking all these private land tags, quote unquote, private land. And they say that that authorization is no more than a piece of paper and it's got zero value. And that's huh. the, it's the landowner, right? And so it's the landowner who turns around and, you know, turns that authorization into real money. So, um, you know, like I, like I said, people have talked about this, but you go to court and you go up against Floyd Lee and Ted Turner and, you know, the thousands of small ranchers who get, you know, one or two or five or 50 tags a year. And, you know, you better have some some pretty damn good attorneys in order to win that, that lawsuit. Sure. And um, so, yeah, you know, how much would that cost? 250, 500,000, you know, somewhere, you know, a lot of money and, and, you know, they can, they can afford that. I think you probably write legal fees off on their taxes. Oh, you and sure. I can't, Sure. you know, you and I, you know, if I, if I say, Hey, Dan, you know, can you send me 20 bucks? Cause, you know, Cause we're trying to take this all the way to the New Mexico Supreme court and then probably to the U S Supreme court. And you say, you know, Joel, I'd love to, but man, I, you know, you know, I just, I got to put oil on my four wheeler cause it, you know, whatever. Yeah. So it's hard enough to, it's hard enough to get hunters in New Mexico to join an organization, you know, 25 or 30 bucks to join the BHA or the Wildlife Federation or to the Doniana County Associated Sportsmen or any any other group and to ask them to cough up a thousand bucks as their little tiny share of challenging this law you know that ain't gonna happen interesting well I think the best thing we can do is get more non-residents involved that are interested in coming down to New Mexico picking up a rifle muzzy bow whatever and experiencing really amazing elk hunting like new mexico is special it really is and i've enjoyed all my time there even this last season i was in beautiful elk country i really was in absolutely beautiful elk country i just um i had some lousy experiences um 
And I am a firm believer in things happen for a reason. And I thought, well, maybe I'm called to shine more of a, a brighter light on this underbelly of this E-plus program. Um, I can appreciate private land getting tags to a degree, but not at the expense of like a large significant amount of New Mexico fishing game budget and not anything that is convoluted or gray. And so if there is a way to do some reform, it would make sense. But at the end of the day, people like profiteering off a public resource, I think that's, to me, you can't really argue that. Like that is definitely taking place. And if that's what you guys want, if this is what you want, that's fine. Then you just need to know that if you're a regular guy, which makes up probably the majority of elk hunters, you might be blue collar. You probably have a wife and kids and a mortgage, and you might have a week, maybe two at the most that you can take off. It's not going to be in New Mexico unless you get very fortunate in the draw with your 6% tags being allocated to you. Otherwise, you're going to have to look other places, and then that's going to send everybody back to Colorado until they change their rules. Or, you know, and then I'm gearing up, Joel, because I'm going to bring on somebody from BHA in Montana to get their take on what's happening in Montana. And I'm going to help advertise these public meetings that people can log on in Zoom and let their voice be heard. And so I'm just going to leverage my platform to spread the word. Sweet. That's great, Dan. I We really appreciate it. You know, New Mexico hunters have been under this system, all these systems for years, decades. And we're tired of it. You know, we're really tired of, you know, not being able to draw a tag or, you know, find out that the guys, you know, that, you know, three guys hunting in your unit, you know, right next to you, your camp, you know, they bought their way to the head of the line. They bought their way into that, that unit, you know, either by getting a unit wide tag through E plus, or they got it out there or whatever. And so, you know, it's tough. And, you know, all of us want to be able to pass these traditions on to the next generation. You know, we've got a whole lot of people who are really interested in starting hunting now. Um, and shit, you know, New Mexico, you go through hunter ed, you know, buy your, you know, big game license and then put in for the draw and then get nothing. You know, I haven't, I haven't drawn a single tag in two years. I haven't drawn an as a resident. What's that? As a resident. As a resident. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, they're the last couple of years have been crazy. This whole COVID thing, a lot of people put in for tags. You know, there've been more people hunting turkeys and elk and antelope and everywhere else. I mean, it's crazy. Our our leftover draw sales or leftover tag sales, you know, the the tags that they don't that don't go through the draw. Usually there's hundreds of deer tags and uh and you know a handful of elk tags and shit this year there was like a handful of deer tags and so anyhow um yeah we we appreciate all the interest and uh wish us luck you know we're in it for the long haul here and um you know but it's a huge uphill battle i mean you know we're we're going up against you know businesses and individuals who've got you know you know money behind them they've got a lot of history they've got um you know they, they got a lot of the public behind them because the public just doesn't understand you know how this whole system works and why it's so cockeyed so anyhow where can folks learn more like what is the actual website for the chapter that you represent and work with and then i don't know if you know their social media stuff but that would be helpful as well our backcountry hunters and anglers chapter is it's www.backcountryhunters.org slash new underscore Mexico. So if you go there or just go to the, to the main BHA and then, uh, and then click on the, their map of all the chapters, just click on New Mexico and you'll see. And then all, all of our stuff is uh, like under New Mexico BHA issues, all of our E plus and then shit, you know, we got a lot of other stuff going. We, we just sued the, well, last year we sued the state game commission to try and 
uh, improve our stream access for the same reason, you know, for years and years, you know, they've, they've been telling us it's illegal that, you know, you've got to stay out of my stream that's going through my property. Well, shit, it's in our constitution that you are, yeah, constitution and our U.S., the, the, the New Mexico Supreme Court all said the same thing. You know, I have a right to fish up any stream as long as I can reach it without trespassing, as long as I, I can, I have to get out of the stream without trespassing. But anyhow, that's another another podcast for somebody else, probably. Well, Joel, I appreciate you coming on and kind of just helping me understand more about New Mexico, how they manage their tags. Um, just again, a recap. Somewhere around 13,000 of the 30-something thousand elk tags are set aside for the private land use system, which means a pay-to-play program, which means at least a third of your elk tax are going to go to somebody willing to pay the money to do it. Um, maybe that's free enterprise, and I have no problem with that kind of stuff in the business world, but that's the, I do think it kind of goes against that North American model of conservation and that these elk were held in the people's trust, yet not all the people are going to have access to them. So, uh, yeah, man, uh, did I miss anything? No, Dan, that's great. I really appreciate your time and uh, your, you know, your interest in this whole thing. And just the fact that you've done your homework and you could see what the problem was and you want to try and do something about it. We all love it. Cool, man. Well, thanks for your time, guys. Check out this BHA chapter. Look up Joel and some of his articles. I will provide links in the show notes. Separation is in the preparation. We'll catch you on the next one. Guys, thanks for listening. I appreciate your support. I wanted to thank my personal sponsors, Buck Knife, Spy Point, Numa, Onyx, Matthews, Black Rifle Coffee Company, Kufaro International, Crispy USA, Vortex Optics, and Wilderness Athlete. Thank you for making this possible. We have discount codes for many of those companies, including ones that I didn't mention under the show notes, including links to the things that we discussed today. I appreciate all elk hunters, whether you are someone who hires an outfitter whether you're a guide if you're a landowner if you're just a guy who works at walmart and likes elk hunting on the weekends dude i got love for all y'all brave anglers search for the one they call king but who will take his throne tune in to waypoint tv's battle for silver saturday may 18th from 12 to 6 p.m eastern presented by abyss battery waypoint tv as hunters we must stay united not divided some things might need some reformation, some change. Change is good. Change is inevitable. And I just hope that hunting's here for the next generation and the generation to follow. Tell a friend about this podcast. Share it. Spread the word. Appreciate your support. Separations in the preparation. Catch you on the next one.